Happy Labor Day week, Chris, and all our listeners. Uh, had a good Labor Day. Uh, had a family gathering, uh, extended family on Sunday evening, and this evening just did some uh, simple burgers, good burgers on the grill uh, for the for our crew here at home. So yes, uh, enjoyed uh, this Monday, and happy Labor Day. Uh, how about you? How was your weekend? Oh, my weekend was great. I actually went to uh, the Alabama football game, Alabama-Miami over at the oh. Mercedes-Benz Dome. Uh, I had a very generic shirt that just said football. I wasn't cheering for either team. I hope both teams did well and had fun playing. Uh, but I'm going to say that the Miami Hurricanes did not have as much fun as the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, but overall, my wife was happy since that's why we went. Uh, she was She's a big Alabama fan. And we figured that it was a good thing to do, especially since I'm dragging her to a Georgia game at the end of September. So uh, so that was pretty much the weekend. Um, I don't know about you, Brent, but August absolutely flew by. Yeah. It, it just, in a blink of an eye. But um, And usually at this time of year, come Labor Day, the season, the minor league season's over. But this year we've had a... Had we have a set day off every week for the minor leagues, and plus the season started later, started about three le- three weeks later. Yeah. Uh, so we have baseball, uh, minor league baseball, that is, double A and below for the next two weeks until the playoffs start. And in the triple A, we actually have that going until the end of the season, the regular season for Major League Baseball. Uh, their season will end at about the same time. Do you have any playoff matchups near you, Brent? It uh, looks like in the AA East, there's the potential um, to go past that September 19th date for uh, Somerset, which is the AA Yankees, or Bowie, which is the AA Orioles. So uh, if either of those teams uh, get into that playoff round, I should be able to extend the AA coverage at least a week or so. So looking forward to that. How about you? As of right now, no. Uh, the two teams that could play in my area uh, are actually facing each other the last week of the season, which is Chattanooga. And, and they'll be facing Mississippi, which uh, Mississippi is the Braves double-A uh, team, and it's fairly loaded right now. Uh, hopefully, um, I get all my looks that last week, but if for whatever reason Chattanooga in the, uh, gets the face Mississippi in the playoffs, I will probably go to maybe the one game or two games that they have in Chattanooga. Got to always check in. You might as well. You never know what you'll see, as as they say. Uh, and that's the same same thing here. I've seen Bowie and Somerset a couple times, but uh, always always new stuff to check out um, when there's a game going on. So I'll try to get to some of those. We have a great show for this week for everybody. We're looking forward to it. Um, we've got some good uh, live looks segments uh, with uh, some scouting reports coming up. But let's first dive into some news and notes. <clears throat> One of the things uh, along those lines 
that has stood out to me recently is that is realizing just how uh, what a fantastic season Cedric Mullins uh, of the Orioles has had. Uh, he's now you know a 25 home run, 25 stolen base guy. I mean, I think there's an outside shot of 30-30. Um, and, of course, the interesting story with him is that before this year, he gave up switch hitting. Uh, now he bats only from the left side, um, had some pretty big splits uh, in the minors left to right in 2017 and 2018 especially. Um, I think the question I had for you, Chris, like, have you ever seen anything like this where a guy drops uh, one of the sides of a from being a switch hitter and then just totally takes off the next year? I actually have seen the opposite happen. Uh, J.T. Snow, former University of Arizona first baseman, uh, better known for his glove than his bat uh, with the Angels and the Giants in his career. He gave up switch hitting and became exclusively a left-handed batter. It it wasn't really uh, a great thing. I think he's now more memorable for grabbing Dusty Baker's son uh, to maybe – avoid uh, getting trampled in the 2002 uh, World Series or was that the 2003 World Series I I don't know time has uh, time has been ruinous to me I think it was 2002 yeah 2003 was the Marlins and the Yankees so 2002 was the Angels versus Giants so yes uh, but anyway and, and who would have thought both of uh, both of JT uh, Snow's uh, teams right there but yeah I've never seen anything like this and it's something that we've always kind of, you know, wished for uh, a guy would do. I, I, I'm on record years and years ago, and I'm still on record with this, especially after checking the splits. Uh, Ozzy Albies, I always thought, could be an elite hitter as a right-handed batter. And, of course, we understood why switch hitting was so important to a guy like Albies uh, coming up, especially with his wheels and stuff. Uh, yeah. But the dimensions of his game has have changed, and uh, I think he's only batting like 237 this year as a right as a as a left-handed batter. And as a right-handed hitter, he's batting 320 with a 949 OPS. Like uh, this guy just has a feel for hitting from the right-hand side, and of course that's his natural side. Uh, yeah. So like I always thought that giving up switch hitting, especially as he matured into his frame and all that good stuff. Uh, would eventually happen, but it seems like they've pushed forward with him being a switch hitter. And, you know, with the speed being what it is today, uh, you know, it's still a 17, possibly 20 stolen base guy, but this dude's reaching for more and more power. And it it just really makes no sense to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, at this point, obviously several years into his major league career, they're probably, and the success overall that he's had, uh, they're probably not going to just entertain that change for Albies. What, what kind of challenges like do you see? Do you think about like on a bigger level when you hear like someone like Mullins, who was, uh, you know, kind of fringe, kind of on the edge of breaking into the majors, has had, uh, you know, beginning of this year, had had some prospect pedigree, not a ton. Um, you know, had a couple failed uh, instances in the majors uh, or struggles rather than fail failures, let's say. Uh, what do you usually hear when you when you hear a guy like that is dropping uh, one of his sides and going just with the left-handed side in this case? Trying to get the most out of uh, what you do well. And in this case, as you pointed out in the little introduction to this question, he was more of a, uh, you know, he had wild splits uh, and was a better left-handed 
hitter uh, in the minor leagues. And so, like, seeing this is not something that you see often, obviously, but, like, it made a lot of sense for him to, to, to do this. And I, I think that there's some good and bad here. Uh, for most guys that do this. The the good, and I, I keep on going back to Neil Walker, former, I think he's retired now, former Pirates, uh, second baseman, Mets, Yankees. I think he even spent some time with the Phillies. Neil basically tried to swing with the same stance, the same mechanics from the left and right side. And his hitting from the right side kept on getting worse and worse until he realized he had to, you know, maybe have different mechanics from each side, reacted differently, all of that good stuff. So, like, it, it's kind of a struggle. And we've seen it with Ozzy Albies, too, to keep up your mechanics from both sides of the plate. Uh, when Albies is going bad, it's usually because he's chasing pitches, breaking pitches as the left-handed uh, left-handed pit hitter. Uh, so, like, those kind of things, those are some of the good things that now you're only worried about one swing, one approach. Uh, it, it, then there's the other part where you just haven't faced same side pitching in a very long time. And yeah. so I think that's the biggest thing with Mullins is he's done better uh, as a left-handed hitter against left-handed pitching. And it has really added a dimension to his game. But if you watch Mullins, he does, he, he did really, he does really well staying in on pitching. Uh, and like, when I watched him in previous seasons as a left-handed batter, uh, with breaking balls breaking in on him, he he handled them with comfort. And it's a skill, and it's a lot easier, of course, from the other hand to do that yeah. from. But even hanging in on pitches coming at your ankles is is a talent. So what I've seen is he's been better at handling uh, and hanging in there against uh, left-handed pitching, uh, same side yeah. pitching. Yeah, it's just it's quite fascinating to think about that. I mean, because you don't <clears throat> at that level, you know, where he's almost the majors at AAA or whatever, um, you know, just not knowing how he's going to respond kind of to a left on left situation like that. And obviously uh, he's responded well. His splits uh, left on left have been have been fine this year. Uh, it's kind of putting you on the spot, but are there any kind of current minor leaguers you could see that? could possibly benefit from, uh, you know, ditching one of a switch hitter that can ditch one of their sides. Drew Waters is the first name that comes to mind. I think I've been uh, beating that drum for about three, four years now, it seems. I, I was never very enamored with him as a right-handed hitter. But then again, there's there's a little difference there with Waters where his approach might not work as well um, as Mullins has because uh, you know, Waters does expand the zone, and Waters does, uh, even though he's done a better job this year, I mean, there is a reason why he isn't up in the majors. Even after all of the hit issues, injury issues, the outfielders in Atlanta this year, I know that it's not yeah. uh, apparent now that they made all these acquisitions and stuff, but, like, there's a reason why he didn't get called up when Pache got called down, when Acuna went on the injured list, or... When Ozuna went on the injured list, we didn't see Waters at all. So, like, I've started to wonder if the Braves uh, brass are, are down on him overall. So uh, maybe maybe it ignites his uh, career again, but I still think that he's a wild swinger. And, and when he is patient, he, he loses that aggressiveness that made him a high average guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just an interesting uh... – 
interesting thing to to think about, uh, given the success, the you know amazing success Mullins has had this year. I want to move on to another topic, and this one is is tied to a specific player, but I think how we want to talk about it is just more on a on a macro level uh, here as we approach kind of the end of the season, and it has to do with guys like Mackenzie Gore, who uh, you know we had as the number seven prospect on our HQ 100 list before the season started, obviously has had uh, struggles throughout uh, the entire year, um, you know, disappeared for a while and, and is, is back uh, now, I think uh, back in, uh, in a ball uh, working his way back. How do you as an evaluator, you know, or how should we as evaluators kind of handle these former really high ranked guys uh, who struggle like that? Um, on their way to the majors. Yeah, Frank, I kind of look at it as, uh, you know, I, I go back to what Ron Chandler said uh, years and years and years ago about when a guy shows you a skill, that skill's there, whether it's uh, whether it disappears again, it could always come back. Uh, right? He said something along those lines. Yep. When you show a skill, you own it, basically, is the, is the thing. It's part of your profile. Yes. So... Uh, Mackenzie Gore coming up showed a skill. He has this uh, he had a kind of unique delivery, we'll call it. Uh, mm-hmm. And he had this ability to repeat this delivery better than most guys with normal cookie-cutter type deliveries. His command was spectacular at times, uh, especially for the level that he was at when he was working in low A. Uh, and then when he went up to high A, his California League uh, season, which is now... Uh, a low A division, but at that time was a high A division uh, in a hitter's environment was was tremendous. And that's why he was the top pitcher overall for for us. We're we're talking about a guy that had shown this disability to that played up his fastball. His fastball's never been really a swing and miss pitch, but uh, has was also able to work that fastball uh, uh, and work that to work his change up in his curveball off of that fastball which were both the pitches that were more suited to get those whips unfortunately it disappeared watching him this year his arm angle uh really his arm slot kind of just disappeared from time to time he wasn't able to uh, repeat and thus he's had a lot of struggles and you know i actually wrote an article earlier this year thinking that he was coming out of it, Brent, and he wasn't. Uh, and he had this long layoff. Uh, I happened to be scouting Robert Hassel for my article uh, that publishes after this will publish, which publishes Tuesday, that article. This will probably publish Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday morning. Uh, so I was watching him and just ran into a Mackenzie Gore star. Uh, and so my big question was, do I scout Gore? I chose not to. I chose to kind of talk about uh, how we see Gore. And I'm going to leave that for the subscribers, of course. Get to your question finally about on the macro uh, level. Uh, And I look at it as what Ron Chandler did say. And then also, like, you've got to also think that, like, he may never get it back again. Instead of being, what, a 9B prospect, which is where I would have probably had him prior to the season, mm-hmm. watching him, he's probably a 9D prospect. There is still that 30% chance that he gets that back. 
And I'm going to keep that nine because he looked like an all-star, potential all-star performer. But I'm being realistic here. There's a chance that he doesn't even get to eight. It might be a seven or it might be a six if it never comes back. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. so with guys struggling like that, I tend to hedge a bit, which you don't necessarily – you're not taught to hedge. But when it comes to overall rankings, you you you're it's okay to hedge. Yeah. And so with him, he's still a top 100 prospect for me, but I don't necessarily see him being that top 50 guy anymore. I think we could say the same thing uh, with Forrest Whitley, and uh, you know that's a guy that like coming into the season I had downgraded, but I know a lot of people uh, at HQ, a lot of the other writers still had him fairly high on their list. Yeah. And, like, I the guy just simply couldn't stay healthy, and when he was healthy, he wasn't pitching well. And yeah. so, like, we let that go for a long time, and it was okay to let it go for a long time. Gore has a season like this next year. We're probably going to have to downgrade him tremendously. Yeah. Basically, one way I think of, of looking at it is kind of just that his risk has increased. And, you know, that the letter grade that we give uh, or which, you know, as you explained, um, is downgraded. The kind of the likelihood of him reaching that nine uh, ceiling, uh, and that, and that nine representing, like you said, the skill that we've seen uh, in this case at the lower levels. But now with the year, year and a half of of uh, struggles and and kind of uncertainty about that, that pulls the the letter grade down, the probability. Down to like as you said a C or a D, um, and I think that that's uh, that's just how I view something. Uh, when I know when I'm going through and uh, encounter encounter these guys, whether they're Mackenzie Gore level or a couple steps down from a ceiling from a Gore ceiling level, is kind of that's that's the adjustment that I make is with the is with the letter grade. You you saw Bo Naylor, uh, and we talked about him yeah. on this program last week. Uh, yeah. Look, you know, Bo Naylor, I think I had a nine-something on him coming into the year. I was the evaluator. Uh, from what you saw, uh, you saw very, you know, not to rehash all this, a very uh, scattering of good potential, good to really, really bad stuff. Uh, yeah. Like, it, it just was... a it was a different guy the three times you saw him, uh, which is yeah. just so weird after all the reports I heard. Uh, but like looking at him, do you would you still give him an eight if you were the one with the Indians organization? I'm actually asking this for a friend who might be <laughs> the one that's evaluating the Indians. So, uh, do you do you still put an eight on it, or is it going down to a seven? Uh, I don't think it goes down to a six yet. Um, no. But like, I'm just curious from what you saw. Uh, I think I would because uh, because the, throughout the year it was scattered, and even though as as we talked about last week, each time I saw him, it sort of the look got worse. I think I would still probably give him an eight, but again, the the uh, it would be the the risk part of that would be lower also. Um, because we hadn't seen, and specifically in his situation, you know, we hadn't, hadn't seen the sustained level of performance success, uh, that we did with Gore, like early on in his career, given it was low A and all that. 
I, I think I would still go an eight on on Naylor, though yes, the probability grade because of the inconsistency and the and the scope of that where it got worse throughout the year, I'd probably drop some. Did you get to see Jeter Downs this year? I did not, no. Oh, that's uh, a shame. Of, that that would have probably been a good one to break down for this question too. Uh because yeah. I, I, I know my contacts uh my contacts haven't been that uh that nice about their evaluations of downs. Have you talked to anybody? I haven't talked to anyone other than no. No. Uh, another guy that kind of falls on this uh, this this level is JJ Blade. And you know, we talked about McKenzie Gore. Uh, I, I think you actually mentioned it that there were whispers during the off-season about some issues at the uh, ATS, the alternate training site. I'll be so glad that we don't have to talk about the ATS anymore. <laughs> uh, but, like, it, it's funny that that's all we have. Like, it, it made evaluation so hard. You didn't know what to take uh, yeah. and, and what to work with. I, of course, went all in on Naylor. Uh, and, you know, we might have needed a discount more for Gore. Uh, but a guy that I had that we needed to probably discount for, uh, based on some looks from from a trusted source of mine, uh, yeah. was J.J. Blade. And Blade has had a struggling season this year in Double A, you know, which a lot of people were very surprised about. Uh, I saw him in a very abbreviated look. I only had one game. I kept on saying I would go back and watch more. And I did, but it just never was. Like I, I was hoping that he'd be better, and he just wasn't. Uh, yeah. So like he he's a guy that uh, I am still considering a top 100 guy. I might not necessarily consider Jeter Downs. Uh, maybe 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 Jeter Downs makes my top 100. I I don't, I don't really know at this point, but I, I think JJ Blade makes my top 100, and uh, because I think that the skills are there that he could be a solid average, where I mean more like a solid regular contributor. But these guys are always so hard, and, and they are the worst. And we knew this coming into the season after no yeah. baseball last year that yeah. we were going to see a lot of this. Uh, yeah. I guess I guess I was hoping that some guys would, I don't know, play up, that it wouldn't make it look so barren when we go and do our top 100 list uh, this offseason. But I, I really think that there's guys that are going to be ranked in that 75 to just off the list that – come back as totally different guys next year. Yeah. Uh, and it, it will be interesting to see. But, like, right now, I can't evaluate Gore. I can just tell you that he's thrown in the low 90s, which in the, the complex, he was only touching 90s. So I, I guess that's a that's a good thing. But, like, I can't evaluate him now. Uh, I think it's I think it's fair not to evaluate Naylor right now. I think that yeah. we, we just don't really know what that guy is. Uh, uh, because he looked different every time you saw him this year. Uh, but a guy like Jeter Downs, I, I've heard it's been a consistent struggle for him. Uh, and that, like, there were some signs prior to this season that maybe people ignored and were just hopeful. Uh, I think that I think the Dodgers do well when they trade guys. I don't necessarily think that they work out as well as uh, maybe the hype in the Dodger organization said they would. Uh, so... Yeah. Uh, very interesting one. Well, anyway, moving on to our last uh, news and notes thing. Let's talk about our buddy Salvador Perez. Sal Perez. Yeah, 40 home runs this year. Can you believe that? 
yeah, 40, 41 now, uh, 103 RBIs. Uh, obviously, he's had just a, you know, a crazy couple of weeks uh, just being on fire. And as we, you know, as we think about this for obviously for fantasy perspective, I mean, it's just a huge asset to have uh, someone producing like that at the fantasy uh, in your fantasy uh, lineup. Uh, and it's, you know, as we look back, I, I think that you know it was a pretty decent year for kind of some minor league catchers that both you and I kind of saw at different points and got reports on, you know, and obviously 40 home runs is a huge bar, but like, you know, do any of these kind of guys that I'm going to list, uh, do you see them as, as big power assets like this? Let's say, you know, 30 home run catchers in the majors, like, you know, Luis Camposano, uh, Kiebert Ruiz, Adley Rutschman, Francisco Alvarez, or, are you know, was one or four guys like that. Um, what do you think? Is are any of those kind of this can can develop into the Sal Perez level impact catcher? Well, I I obviously have Adley Rushman, who you saw this season at the top of my list. I I think the hit and the power tool, especially as a switch hitter, like I I just I believe that when he got drafted, he was the best chance in his draft year, and I was even with Andrew Vaughn there uh, mm-hmm. to get to. Uh, 40 home runs as a major leaguer. So he would be my 1A. And then from what I've heard and from what I've seen on video and uh, from your scouting reports, actually, Francisco Alvarez with the Mets is another yeah. guy. And it's funny. I looked at the list of 40 home run hitters as catchers. And, uh, you know, the top guy I think of all time was Javier Lopez. I think he had like 42 or 43 yeah. home runs. But I remember for the longest time, it was Roy Campanella uh, until Todd Hundley beat that, uh, a Met Met catcher. And then a future Met catcher got the 40 a couple times, which was Mike Piazza. I don't believe he ever got over 40 with the Mets, but he got to 40 a few times. So, like, who knows? Maybe it's a thing in the Mets' water there. Maybe maybe he's he's that guy, uh, you know, gets there, uh, uh, Alvarez gets there. But... I've also been very curious. I mean, all these guys are National League hitters. I, I didn't check in to see if Gary Sanchez ever got to 40. I don't believe he did, but I don't. Uh, yeah, I think it was all National League hitters that have gotten there, which you would have uh, thought otherwise since, you know, the DH is something that's prominent uh, in only one of those leagues. I guess those two, I actually have a third one. Uh, it's an old friend of ours, actually, uh, a third guy. His name's yeah. MJ Melendez. This is a guy from the Royals organization that has absolutely knocked the cover off the ball this year. And he's yeah. somebody that I am going to lead off the live look segment with this week. Uh, this week, awesome, awesome series that happened. Toledo versus Omaha. Uh, there were five top 100 guys in this game. This is like the greatest matchup of AAA that I've ever heard. Okay. <laughs> and we've gone on and on. I wasn't really necessarily watching for Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson between Rob, between Brent. We've, we've gotten that covered at Baseball HQ this year. Uh, and we'll have something written up. Whoever writes up the Tigers will probably write those two up again in glowing terms. Uh, oh. But I wanted to go see Bobby Witt Jr., Nick Prado and this re-emerging MJ Melendez. Uh, yeah. I had history with him at Lexington 
He was a free-swinging catcher with a lot of power and a gun behind home plate. He looked the part of a slugging catcher. Unfortunately, uh, the next season while he was at High A Wilmington, which is the only team that were in, in that league that stayed High A. Uh, everybody else moved down, I think. It, it's very confusing, all this changes and stuff. But anyway, Brent got to see a lot of MJ Melendez at Wilmington. And it was ugly. Right, Brent? I was so excited to see MJ Melendez uh, beginning of 2019 when he got assigned there, partially from your reports, uh, partially from other, uh, certainly other reports being, you know, that he was a high draft pick and that kind of thing. But yes, it was, it was not, uh, it was not good at all. Uh, I mean, he, and I, and I, and I saw him probably, I don't know, six, eight, 10 games there. Uh, each time, you know, kind of wanting, wanting to like, uh, this catcher prospect that I heard so much about. Uh, but he can, he consistently kind of expanded the zone. Uh, he was, you know, noisy when he set up, uh, you know, with his, with the pre-pitch movement and everything. Um, there were times when he was passive and, and would just let, he would just let hittable pitches go by or miss, uh, hittable pitches. And by the end of the season, it was just, you know, he, he was putting together non-competitive at bats. I mean, I was, I was seeing games where, uh, you know, for a while, if, if he wasn't, I mean, he was striking out twice a game or three times a game when I would see him. Um, and, and yeah, his, his strikeout rate was crazy. He struck out 165 times that season in 110 games, uh, hit one, you know, 163, 260, 311 was a slash. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, once, once in a while he would catch a pitch, uh, you know, the swing would look great and you'd see glances of that power, but it was, it was so far buried in between so much, uh, swing and miss, uh, that I really, I really was like, well, I, I, you know, sometimes I, I, yeah, I just didn't think that I I just thought maybe it was over for him, (laughs) you know, that it wasn't. Here, here was a prospect who just wasn't going to be able to adjust uh, and make it at all. So to um, to, to uh, connect with him or, or hear about uh, his success at Double A uh, right from the get-go early on this year, and to see him uh, continue that throughout and get moved up to to Triple uh, A a month or so ago, and just continue to hit bombs uh, is just a is just a uh, a good reminder to not give up on guys. So I'm really interested to hear what you saw that has changed or what you saw in general from him out of your looks this year. So his OPS in 2019 was 571. Uh, Split (laughs) between two levels, his slugging percentage is 626 right now. Yeah. And that yeah. is a difference in AAA. It it's six eighteen, and in AA it was six twenty eight. So like this guy's slugging percentage is higher than his OPS. I don't know if I've ever seen that yeah. uh, without a serious injury. He played one hundred and ten games with Wilmington. Uh, obviously, it wasn't uh, injury related. It was uh, something else. Uh, whether it was all all of those things, which I believe to be true. I wonder, you know, you obviously saw Nick Prado. We've already covered Nick Prado. I wonder if, like, 
I wonder what happened to that hitting coach. Because, uh, like, both of them yeah. just absolutely cratered uh, yeah. in that season at Wilmington. Uh, and I even want to say, like, Kyle Isbell had issues there as well. Uh, it, yep. it wasn't... It wasn't just them. It, it was really strange because it looked like the Royals finally had some hitting prospects again. And uh, it, it just stunk it up. But anyway, uh, I didn't want to jinx this season, to be honest with you. And I waited until uh, he got to the 100 game mark uh, to evaluate him. And of course, you know, with this series, it was a perfect, perfect chance to just finally crack it open and watch him. Uh, and he's a much different hitter now. Uh, even the way he sets up, he he sets up in an open stance with his knees bent, you know, kind of kind of slightly, but he uh, he bent pretty well. But he's he is literally straight up, like he doesn't even like you know go uh, doesn't even slouch down or anything with his uh, back. He is straight up, upright, um, knees bent. It's a very peculiar looking stance from this from the start of it. Uh, his hands are against his body, very close to his body. And, and what he does is like he he's awkward, he's partially turned towards the pitcher. And when he comes back, he, if you remember, at least I remember, he had this really uh, elaborate leg lift to get back to, to there. And uh, he's calmed that down significantly. I would say that it's still maybe a little on a moderate side, but it's it, it's Treading towards a, a you know a lower effort yeah. leg kick as opposed to that extravagant one that we saw in high A and in low A as well. Uh, it's still a grip it and rip it approach, but he's seeing the ball a hundred percent back. Uh, he is not expanding the zone until it's like two strikes. Slider spin is still giving him some issue. Uh, he is absolutely dominating the. Uh, on the fastball, and his power is playing to all fields. And I think that's the most uh, significant thing I've seen. He has a very steep swing trajectory, which I think we saw. I think that's the one thing that really hasn't changed. It's still a very steep swing trajectory, but he's able to create these awesome angles off the bat uh, that and backspin that just the balls just float out of the ballpark. Uh, there was one instance where he took a breaking ball the other way that I was very surprised got out, but uh, and, and it wasn't a win situation. I went back, I looked at the box score, see if you know maybe it was blowing out 16 miles per hour or something like that. It was just incredible backspin off the bat. I, I didn't ask for any data, but you know sometimes you could just see it and be like, okay, I get it. That's yeah. that's great. Uh, he's Still kind of pull-oriented um, on the ground when he does uh, he'll roll over pitches, that kind of thing. Uh, however, he does beat up the middle of the ball, middle of the diamond with some, you know, low liners and that kind of thing. So he's actually become a more complete hitter somehow. Uh, yeah. Less swing and miss. Like Brent said, he had 165 strikeouts in 110 games. Uh, it's six, 363 at bats this year. He already has 374 at bats, and he's only struck out 94 times, which is yeah. still a you know a higher number. But like uh, compared to where we were prior, it, it's been significantly uh, less. So 
Love what I'm seeing from him in triple A, in my triple A looks. Uh, the crazy thing is, is he's not just catching right now. They've had him play three games at third base. You know, I can't scout off of uh, off of uh, minor league baseball uh, TV. With Sal Perez hitting 41 home runs, <laughs> Melendez got to find a place to play, right? Uh, and yep. his, his his throwing ability has always been lauded by people. I, I think I had a, a 70 grade pop time back in in low yep. A. Yep. But the issue has always been: does he have the the catching ability behind home plate? So yep. him moving to third makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's definitely exactly what I saw on the defensive side of the ball too in 2019. Is the um, the arm strength. Uh, and the agility he had back there was was amazing uh, as far as getting guys on throwing out runners, both in straight steals. And uh, I, I bet I saw four or five back picks of guys off first base, just kind of wow movements with the arm uh, there. But the blocking and receiving uh, sometimes lagged some. And uh, so I, I, too, saw a couple notes that they were trying him out at third base and uh, it, it makes sense from that perspective, you know, if the hands are good enough for the ground balls and the reactions and all that sort of thing. Certainly the arm strength is there uh, to play third. Especially with, with Perez, that catcher, um, yeah. you get into this dynamic. Uh, if, if Melendez can play third base maybe once a week, twice a week, catch once or twice a week, DH those guys a few times a week. Uh, Pareto's coming up as a first baseman soon, I would assume. Uh, I know that Carlos Santana is still under contract, I believe, uh, for another year after this. Uh, so, like, there's there's some good veteran presence there that can help yeah. these two kids specifically ease their way into the big leagues. Uh, and, and very true, I mean, his on-base percentage this year is 380, which even when he was going good in those lower divisions – his walk rate wasn't anything close to that. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, he was a guy that was uh, patient on fastballs, but he wasn't necessarily patient on breaking balls. I, I know in uh, uh, 2019, it seemed like he wasn't patient on anything. <laughs> um, but th- this guy already has 35 home runs this year. There's a very good chance that he gets the 40. Uh, we have four more weeks left in the season. And, we don't see many catchers get to 40 home runs in the minor leagues. We've only seen a few catchers in the major leagues, with Sal, uh, Salvador Perez being one of them this year, uh, get to 40. But, like, this is might be a better bet than Adley Rushman to get to 40 home runs in the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the power that he's shown, like I said, because we had seen it before, before the 2019 season, uh, and that was all part of his profile uh now has just uh, exploded there at the uh, double a triple a this year and uh, i mean the royals they you know it you start to think about like you said uh, both he and prado uh, obviously wits coming along in that same time frame uh you know honestly merrifield still there uh, perez is not old necessarily uh, I mean, there, there could be uh, there could be something of a fun offense there in Kansas City in a couple of years for sure. They definitely have overachieved this year. I, I of course haven't watched much AL Central uh, action except uh, for whenever I catch 
major league action this year, it's always the White Sox. So, like, so like, there's some good potential for that team to, you know, maybe surprise and contend for a wild card next year uh, if any of those young pit hitters come up and perform. Uh, like, I think that Witt will, and I think Prado will. Uh, I might hedge a bit on Melendez uh, at first, but like. Um, yeah. It's just because we've seen him in two different ways, you know. It, it goes back to our little Gore conversation here. It's like we saw really bad Melendez. And I'm sure, I, I know that I had the Royals, I think, in 2019 for an org report. And I think I, like, just absolutely put them in, like, at a 7E or something like that. Uh, just hoping something would come back. But, like, uh, these numbers this year, what I saw, we're, we're talking about a guy that might be a 9 again. Uh, so like there, there's, you know, I might've messed up and not considered, maybe there was a site issue or something with him that caused the 163 average. Um, but like, this is, this is one of the biggest turnarounds I've ever seen. Uh, and I'm sure you can say the same thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I certainly, even if you, uh, look back and say, oh, there'll be a bounce back. Uh, no one could foresee 35 home runs. Uh, out of someone like uh, Melendez. Let's uh, let's move on to um, another well, third baseman in uh, Texas organization, Josh Young, who you got a chance to look at this week. He was a high pick, uh, I think number eight overall. Is that right? In yes. uh, yeah, in, in 2019 draft for the Rangers, had some uh, had some helium coming into spring training and during spring training. Had some injury issues, um, but now has been uh, back at Double A, and I think is up at. Uh, they moved him up to Triple A uh, a couple weeks ago too. What have you seen in uh, checking out Josh Young? Well, he had that stress stress fracture in his left foot to begin the season. He spent some time on the injured list, and there was some you know rumblings during the offseason, not even in spring training, that he could. Uh, start for them uh, this year in Texas. Like he could have been the opening day starter. I kind of took it for what it was worth. I, I didn't really think that there was a possibility of that. And who knows with if he was healthy, if uh, he could have contended for that. Um, but we'll never know. He went to Double A. He ended up in Triple A. Uh, and I, I I actually watched some of his at bats from this week. Uh, in AAA, and and more so because I wanted to check him out because I had heard that his approach had changed. Uh, I wasn't the biggest guy on on Young when he came out of Texas Tech. I thought that uh, the eighth pick and getting over four million dollars was a bit of a reach for him. I kind of saw him. I had him priced out. When when you're uh, doing amateur scouting, it's not necessarily where. Uh, you think a guy should be drafted or not, it, it's dollar amounts. You mm-hmm. talk dollar amounts. And I thought he was like a $2 million player. So the end of the first round, essentially, uh, I did not believe he was a $4 million player. But the Rangers saw something. The Rangers saw something in his work ethic, which is something, unfortunately, I'm not able to see watching guys off video and even sometimes uh, watching them in person. I don't I don't have that background uh, they don't let me have that background, Brent. Uh, but anyway, I saw a guy that has completely changed uh, his ability to get to power without compromising his gap approach. 
And what I mean by that, when he was in college, he was more of an inside-out hitter. Uh, and he didn't get to power often. And when he did, it was usually in the gaps, and it was usually against bad pitching and that kind of thing. So it's a little – I just, I guess, didn't believe in him uh, getting to that. I thought that he might be like a high-average, uh, low-power type uh, hitter. And while the power still hasn't really come on, uh, the power is a lot better. And from what I saw, I saw a guy with an upright swing – his, he's even in his base. Uh, his hands are uh, start kind of already cocked back at his shoulders. Of course, people can't see me doing that right now. Uh, <laughs> I do that at every broadcast, and uh, you know, you all don't get to see this. Maybe we, maybe next year we turn this into a video uh, podcast. Who knows? Uh, but it's a very quick swing, and uh, it's oriented for him to get to. The opposite field to get to that gap but now what has happened is he's been able to adjust his hands much better than before so when a ball comes in on the inner half he's not trying to muscle the ball to right field but he's doing what you want power hitters to do you know come down on that barrel lay it down and take it out and that's what I saw in the scout look so while he's still going to let the ball travel, let him trust his hands, trust his bat speed to get to the ball and to take the ball the other way, he has that new element to him where it's just not an up-the-middle gap approach. It's a guy that could reach potentially 25 home runs, which is kind of a benchmark for what third basemen need to have uh, as a you know carry tool. Yeah, um, a couple of uh, players I thought about similarly. Um, I mean, is it is what you saw or, or what you're describing is kind of reminiscent of what we've talked about, um, uh, you know, early on in this podcast with Austin Martin, kind of, as far as coming as what I've seen, we've seen this year as being more of an inside out hitter and not quite able yet to make that adjustment to, uh, to taking that pitch but taking that inside pitch and turning on it uh, to the full side and, and getting power. Is that, is that a valid uh, comp? It is a valid comp. I think that Martin's a better pure hitter mm-hmm. than Young ever was or ever yeah. is, I guess. Uh, I, you know, I see this guy, I see Young as more of like a 270, 280 hitter. Um, where Martin could possibly threaten with some 300 seasons if if, yeah. if it all works out for him. Uh, and a, a lot of the issues that uh, got resolved wasn't necessarily in the upper half for Young. It was stuff that was happening on the lower half, uh, which was causing him not to, you know, basically prevent him from getting to the barrel uh, on inside pitches. And that's something that's happened to Martin. And when we talked about Martin getting traded, uh, I, I did mention that I was excited because he was going to an organization that yeah. uh, used tech and has used it to its benefit, uh, which is the Minnesota Twins organization. And I also think that uh, it, while we didn't know it at the time, uh, some of the changes that were made to the player development um, side of things for the Rangers, even though uh, some of their guys didn't really stick around too long, the tech that was introduced during the 2019 season may have turned Young's career into 
what we're seeing right now, a guy that still has that average potential, but but can get get at it uh, with pull side power. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty uh, that's pretty exciting and kind of a best case scenario uh, in a way, especially for like you said, like a third baseman that has that has a higher kind of expected uh, power output level uh, to play at the major league level. And and young 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 doesn't necessarily need that power to really. Um, carry position. I think that he has enough athleticism for second base. He was a college shortstop, and while it was a fringe college shortstop, he does have really good hands, and he has the reactions. So, uh, you know, I believe that second base could even work if that power potential doesn't get up to 25 home runs to carry at third base. Yeah, and you'd have to think that given given the Rangers situation where they are, that by uh, early next season sometime, uh, they'll be trying him out, uh, health swilling and everything, um, as part of their lineup as as they look forward to plugging in some young players for the future. Let's move on to uh, a third guy you got to uh, look at. Some is San Francisco outfielder uh, Elliot Ramos. Um, this guy's been kind of on our radar uh, for several years. Um, has been part of the Giants organization the whole time and been uh, high up on on their list uh just reached triple a for the first time um several weeks ago what have you seen and heard and what can you tell us about uh ramos's kind of uh long-term future well my history with ramos goes back to low a uh, i i had seen a lot of uh video that got supplied to me from his rookie ball uh campaign in arizona and he was a guy with very loud tools, bat speed for days, power potential, all of that good stuff. Uh, and somehow that just kind of evaporated. And then it came back. And then it evaporated again. Uh, and the guy that I saw in this look, which I, I watched actually several, um, several at-bats throughout the last few weeks uh, since he's gotten up to AAA. He had played in Richmond. He actually wasn't, he didn't do that great at Richmond this year, double A for the Giants. Uh, and some of the same problems uh, that dogged him with Richmond have followed him to triple A. Uh, he is an upright, slightly open swing. His hands are up near the flat. The hands are back. Uh, it's a, you know, we were just talking about Young and Martin with an inside out swing. And this is a different inside out swing. This is a, uh, a guy that, like, at one time had all of this bat speed, and now his bat speed has diminished. His bat speed's diminished. His running ability has diminished. I actually had a below average run time on a guy who was a plus runner when I saw him in uh, uh, low A. So, like, yeah. this guy is bulked up. His swing is slower, all of that stuff. Uh, mm. And what happens with him is he – he can't get that barrel around on the fastball. So uh, he's unable to really pull anything in the air. Uh, when he pulls the ball, it's on the ground. He can get good ground ball contact uh, to the pull side, usually between the 5-6 hole. He's not really going to shoot something right down the line or anything like that. Most of his extra base hits are going to be to the gaps, specifically the right center field gap. And the power that I saw so far in AAA has been home runs that have been mostly uh, – the home runs he's hit have been either the center 
or to right field. This, the one to center was on a breaking pitch. The right field uh, home runs were off fastballs. So, like, on fastballs, he just can't get around. Uh, the other thing is, is he's become – well, he's always been kind of a free swinger. He's even much so a free swinger now. He still has fairly decent hand-eye coordination where he's able to, you know, cheat a bit um, on that. But overall, it's, it's, it's very hard to – now that he's kind of a corner outfielder, no speed, uh, it's, it's hard to project him as a top 100 prospect right now because mm-hmm. there's no carry skill, right? Uh, you know, there's no carry skill with him. Uh, yeah. You know, everybody, we just talked about young at third base needing to hit for power. Uh, that's doubly true for a corner outfield. And I just don't see where Ramos is going to get to that kind of power. And again, this is another season where he has backtracked. And, uh, you know, while we were talking about Mackenzie Gore, where it's been a one-season thing, and we, we talked about NJ Melendez, where it was a one-season thing, we've yeah. seen it in Ramos in 2018 and now in 2021, where he kind of has backtracked a bit from a previous season or backtracked a lot, which is very concerning. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's interesting because I remember, too, a couple of years ago, uh, lower in the minors, it was definitely – um, at that point, a center field profile, you know, a guy that could move well, uh, stolen bases as, as part of that, you know, kind of a power speed combination is what, uh, what it seemed like, uh, he was headed towards. But, uh, as you said, if, if, uh, he's now balked up some and the swing is fast speed and all that has taken a hit, uh, certainly, um, it, you know, it takes his fantasy potential sort of down a couple, Notches. And I, and I, and I was, uh, the same thing, just looking at the stat line was, uh, curious on why they moved him up to triple A, uh, like you said, because it was, a you know, a double A this year was a 237, 323, 432 line. I mean, you know, 10 homers and 14 doubles and that sort of thing in 62 games. Uh, but certainly not what you normally hope to see for a guy back, uh, at his second tour of, double a um and so it was just interesting that they moved him up to to triple a uh earlier in the year earlier in the year yeah i totally agree with that it was kind of uh i think when i heard it happened it was it was surprising just given the box score uh yeah. box score uh, given what his player card said i believe that like he was a high risk prospect when we really liked him and now he's is still a high risk guy that is closer to the big leagues, but there's there's still a tremendous amount of risk, and he's he's hard to really, you know, I, I can see an evaluator putting an eight on him, a solid average uh, um, rating, but for me, if I had the Giants organization, would thankfully I don't for this, uh, I would probably give him a seven to be honest. Uh, I think that the best possible outcome for him as an average outfielder in fantasy. I, uh, especially with the speed slowing down. I mean, that was yep. what, you know, had kept him at the eight. And, yep. you know, we had him at a nine when it looked like he was potential 30-30 guy. So, um, you know, it's sad to see. We see this a lot, unfortunately. 
Um, and that's why our rating system is what it is. Uh, you start out at a 9E or D, uh, and you move to an 8C, and now you're at a 7C, and who knows, maybe next year he's a 6-something. Who knows? Uh, yeah. But that's, the you know, we try to get those guys. That's why we don't call guys when they get in, into the minor leagues a 9A, because, uh, you know, uh, the probability of them getting to a nine with those tool with that with those tools is uh, is hard. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, good perspective on uh, Elliot Ramos again, outfielder for the Giants. Well, uh, I think that wraps us up here as we head to our kind of upcoming section. Uh, Chris, what do you have on tap for the week ahead? I haven't been to a minor league game since August 14th. Oh, don't tell me. It's been a long time, man. Uh, and I tried to go to some last week, but I was told by a contact to don't waste my time. Uh, poor Yolkis uh, Cespedes is apparently swinging at everything right now. Uh, and uh, was not a good chance to see him. Probably wouldn't have gotten much off of him. I still watched him, by the way. And, yeah, I'm not talking about him right now. Uh, hopefully he can pull out a few weeks at AA that, that, that are a little better. But um, he, it wasn't worth um, talking about this time. But, anyway, sadly, no lives looks again this week. Uh, everybody's out of town. They're far, far away. So, I'm going to be hitting the video hard, preparing for my off-season organization coverage. So this year, I'm going to have a dozen or so organizations to cover. Um, some of them aren't finalized. Some of them are finalized. Uh, and I'm trying to aim to get my preliminary analysis of each organization done by the end of the month. Uh, usually, I get that done sometime mid-October. Uh, I want to get it done because I have a lot of guys to cover this year. Uh, so I'll be digging deep this week into Astros, Angels, and D-back prospects. I'm sure I'll uncover some guys to talk about next week. The Astros have a few interesting guys at AAA, including Jeremy Pena, who just uh, came off the injured list, and Hunter Brown, who's a pitcher who has some interest around him, some, some, some potential. Uh, it's a pretty light organization. The Angels organization is pretty light as well. I don't know if we'll be bringing anybody else to, to talk about on this podcast next week. Uh, but the Diamondbacks have a lot of great prospects in their organization. And I have a feeling that I'll uh, find somebody in either double A or high A that we haven't talked about in either an article or in a podcast. So uh, a lot of potentially good stuff for next week. Uh, what do you have on tap, Brent? Uh, actually, I made I sort of made fun of you for not getting to a park, but it's been a couple of weeks since I've been to one also. Uh, but this week I have a couple uh, significant chances. Uh, the Greensboro Club, the high A from the Pirates, who you had covered earlier, is coming into Jersey Shore this week. And uh, although I, we will miss uh, first overall pick Henry Davis, there's obviously some uh, several pitchers and uh, some infielders also that I'm interested in checking out for, from Greensboro. And uh, given that uh, the Phillies are my coverage, uh, Jersey Shore, just they had some promotions of a couple guys from low A into their high A uh, roster, uh, a pitcher as well as a couple, uh, a couple position players that I want to check out for part of that coverage. Also, there's a chance I might get up to 
Reading this week as well. They're playing uh, New Hampshire. But I'm looking forward to the week in general. It uh, should be good to get back out to the park. I'm interested. Um, you know, this grip of uh, McGarry that got taken out of Virginia in the fifth round. Yeah, I heard some really good things. I saw some data on him today. I'm looking uh, forward. I'm hoping you run into him at Jersey Shore. I mean, uh, not that you all know this, but we've had a Phillies embargo. Uh, that I I laid down on Brent because like we had talked way too much about Phillies and I told him today that if you get Griff and he looks as good as this data is suggesting uh, that we're going to go with a Griff uh, McGarry uh, report next week in Brent's live look segment. It's certainly it's certainly one of my targets if I can <laughs> if I if I can get it lined up and uh, it's just. That's what it uh, just where I'm at, and the teams I cover, the Phillies are. Uh, I have several Phillies uh, affiliates nearby, so uh, yes, the Philly embargo might be lifted, which would be. Great. <laughs> anyway, uh, appreciate as we come to the conclusion here. As always, thanks to all the listeners tuning in for this episode of The Eyes Have It. Uh, again, it's put on by BaseballHQ.com. We've got some great content. Uh, lined up for uh, you for all the subscribers in September as we're making our final uh, pushes in the in our different fantasy leagues. As far as the eyes have it, you can contact us uh, at the eyes have it at baseballhq.com if you have any listener questions or requests um, here for our last couple shows of the year, or you can reach out to us on Twitter. Chris is at c underscore blessing, and you can find me at Brent HQ. Thanks for subscribing. Um, and if you're listening to us on a platform that allows you to rate and review us, we'd really appreciate those positive rates and reviews. Chris, have a good week, and we'll talk to you next week. You have a great week, too. Hope everybody out there has a great week. Maybe we can all avoid stormy weather. Yeah.